0: A young boy came home from school from his first day at school and his mother said to him, Johnny, would you learn school today? And Johnny looked at her and he said, I learned no matter what, not to use the F word. Well, her head just about spun off her shoulders and she looked at him and she said, Johnny, did you use the F word at school? And Johnny said, no, I, I didn't. I couldn't. She said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, uh, our principal, Mr. Daniels, as he was giving the rules, he said, absolutely, under no circumstances are any of you to use the F word. And then he looked at his mother and he said, Mom, what is the F word? And all of a sudden her face got red and and she just got choked up. And, and she said all that she could think about and said, Johnny, I don't know. Well, at that, Johnny started going through his vocabulary list of all the words that he knew that began with F. And as he was doing so, his twin sister jumped in and said, Cheese! And at that, the mother looked at both of them and walked away defeated. And mumbling under her breath, she said to herself, I got one child that's going to grow up with a potty mouth. And I have another child who isn't going to know which door to go into the party. This morning and for the next four weeks, I'm going to do a series of messages on the F word. Now, some of you are probably thinking, you're going to do a series on the word Fred? No, not quite. I'm going to do a series on the other F word called forgiveness. Forgiveness is probably something most of you have been doing been engaging a lot in because of being so cooked up with one another. I've wanted to do this series for a while now because forgiveness is crucial to us as human beings. It's crucial to us in having relationships. And as we've seen through this Easter season, forgiveness is crucial in our relationship with God. So let me start off the series answering the question why is forgiveness so important is it because we're a bunch of potty mouth people who don't know how to spell yeah that's probably a part of it but in theological terms it's bigger than that it's because we're sinners and as sinners we sin Um, listen to the words of the psalmist in psalm 14 the lord looks down from heaven on all mankind To see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Think about those words. All. All have sinned. Everyone, anyone, anybody, all of humanity. We don't like to think of ourselves uh, in those terms. It's interesting when we think of ourselves, we see ourselves as people who get better with age, almost like a fine wine. We see ourselves as people who grow and who learn and who become better. Of course, the question is, better at what? We like to think we just become better at everything. But the truth is, we don't. We oftentimes, if we go our course from the time that we're born, we become better at sinning. Now, you might think, I don't know if I agree with that. Just think of some of uh, the names that you've run across in the news. uh, The variety of them. Uh, Bernie Madoff. Bill Clinton, or a while back, Richard Nixon, Bill Cosby, Lori Laughlin, Harvey Weinstein. It's hard to see people like that across the board from actors to directors uh, to presidents and all the others that we can point out and not say, we're not sinners. In fact, uh, listen to the words, that John writes in first John chapter one, look what he says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Going over to verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Think about it. If, If we claim that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. Basically, John is saying this. If we claim that we haven't sinned, we lie and therefore we sin. That sounds like a pretty rough thing, but it's true. Uh, We try to dress it up. We try to say, I don't lie. People just misunderstand me or I don't mean to be mean. Sometimes it's just bad days or I wouldn't have done it if someone hadn't put me in that situation. But we know the reality deep in our hearts this morning. I wanna share with you a very important principle when it comes to this whole idea of forgiveness and this whole idea of sin. And I draw it from that passage in 1 John, because if you notice, I skipped a verse. And so let's go back to the verse that I skipped. John writes these words. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins And purify us from all unrighteousness. What is John saying? John is saying this seeking forgiveness is the best place to start to clean up our mess. Let me say it again seeking forgiveness is the best place to start to clean up our mess. Even though we don't like to admit we're sinners. Even though we would like to say we're just mistakers. We know deep down inside it's the reality. This morning, I want to share with you why this is so crucial. I want you to see the fact that each and every one of us is a mess. Whether we're a hot hot mess or a lukewarm mess, we're a mess. And it's when we know that we're all a mess. It's a good starting point for this series on forgiveness. So I want to tell you a story. It's a story that comes out of the scriptures and it's the story of King David. Now uh, this story doesn't just begin with him being a king because you'd miss out on some of the good stuff. Um, The story goes back to David's youth. Uh, David was a kid who loved God. He loved his family and he loved his nation. One day his nation was under attack and they were being harassed by the Philistines and taunted uh, by a man of giant proportion. He taunted them he uh, say going out before Israel and challenging them telling them that if they could come up with one fighter who would step in the ring with him That whoever won would be the other's servant. Well, nobody from Israel wanted to step up. So who steps up? This pint-sized kid, David, with a giant-sized heart, courage and confidence in God. And with a slingshot, he takes the giant down. And you can imagine what the newspapers read the next day. A local kid from a good family saves the day and rescues the nation. And very soon David became beloved by everyone. And later would go on to become the king of Israel. Now as we jump forward in David's life, we see a guy who has taken on this role as king. He has taken new land for his country. He has fought off his enemies and he's gathered great wealth and a great reputation for his nation. And now as a well-established king, we read these words from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse one. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. (laughs) That's a little interesting introduction. Uh, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, it almost sounds like spring cleaning. Uh, But that's what they would do during the spring when it was the best vantage point uh, strategically to deal with your enemies. But notice Something David is sending someone off to lead the whole army of the Israelites. We read, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rehob, but David remained in Jerusalem. Let's stop there for a second. David remained in Jerusalem. What the heck is going on? This was the kid who had courage. This was a kid who had confidence. This was the kid who defended his nation and defended God. And now he's sending his army off, but he's deciding to just kick back. Um, There's no need for him to do everything. Others can do the task. Um, He's earned all of his kudos. He's checked all of his boxes. And so now when it comes time to go to war, he decides, you know what? I deserve a break. Uh, Let the younger generation do this. I can find better things to do with my time, I'm sure, because I'm king and I'm important. And important people shouldn't be getting their hands dirty. Well, look what we read next. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Then David sent sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. And then she went back home. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Uh, Look at the progression of sin. David, as he's getting older, he's not getting older like a fine wine, is he? As he's getting older, something is growing in him. It's his battle with sin. But David starts to lean on past glories. David starts to believe that he's bigger than stuff like that. And so David decides that it's okay for him to take a break, to take a break from his people, to take a break from God's reputation. And we know what happens. You know, as people say, idle hands makes the devil's playground. Well, that's what happens. David becomes idle. He's just kicking around the palace, probably just binge watching Netflix or something like that. And he goes to bed, but he can't really sleep. And so he looks out his window and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. Now, right away, you think David would have pulled away. He would have made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon her, but he doesn't. He sees her beauty, and the next thing that comes to his mind is, I want her. That's what happens when we start to head off into sin. It's just part of our human nature. Once we go down that road, sin becomes ever more progressive. And that's what happens to David. He calls her. He has her brought to him. And he brings her into his bed. And the next morning she goes home as if everything's okay. But look, we read verse five. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Now, what was David saying to Uriah? He was basically saying, uh, when he says, go wash your feet, it was a euphorism, meaning go be with your wife. David wanted Uriah to be with his wife so that when she conceived the child, Uriah would just think, well, that was during my time when I was on furlough. But in verse nine, we read this. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. Now, why was that? Because Uriah was a noble man. Uriah was not about to go be with his wife and to enjoy the pleasures of marriage and to just kick back when he knew that his men didn't have that same opportunity. And being a true leader, He knew you couldn't lead from behind. And so he went and he stayed with his men instead of going off to his house. And so now we skip to verse 13 and we read this. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. And that David's plan was twofold, I believe. One, he wanted to get Uriah drunk, hoping that that would just lead him uh, to go home and to be a little more amorous being with his wife. But he, I suspect, also knew that if that wasn't going to be the case, that being drunk would put him in a state where he wouldn't think clearly and he wouldn't fight clearly. In the morning, we read, David wrote a letter to Job and he sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So what happens? Just that. Uriah gets killed in battle. And at first, David thinks He's gotten away with it. Uh, David uh, takes this woman to be his wife uh, because that was part of what was going on in the culture. But something else happens. God finds disfavor on David to the point where God takes David's child away from him and brings him unto himself. You know, it's interesting. I've often wondered about that. Why would God punish the child? Just that question, I, I, I feel embarrassed to admit to you because it's terrible theology. There can't be anything better than to be taken to God. Uh, the best thing that David could have done for that child was to take that child to God. Uh, think about it for a minute. Imagine if God had let that child live in that condition. That child growing up, eventually finding out that his mother wasn't quite the woman that he thought she was. Finding out that his mother would sleep around with anyone while his dad was off to battle. Imagine being that child, finding not only that out, but finding out that his dad, the king, sent his real father off and set him up to die so that he wouldn't get caught for his sins. Imagine having to live in a world knowing that you come and have been conceived from such corruption, such wickedness. God did the child a favor by calling the child home. We often don't think like that. In fact, think about uh, this pandemic. The whole thought of someone dying, we see as an awful thing. And for sure, I would say outside of Christ, it can be a very fearful thing. But as believers, we have to remember that going home to be with our Heavenly Father is what this is all about. Well, I digressed a little bit there. What we see in the story is God punishes David by taking his child. And we see that David's good friend, Jonathan, comes alongside of him. And and I won't get into the whole story, but confronts David with his sin. And David does something that most kings would never do. David repents. David is broken by what he's done most kings would have had the messenger, the friend, put away so that no one else would know. But David doesn't do that. David looks at his sin and he's broken by it. Listen to the words that we read in Psalm 51. David cries out to the Lord in these words, Have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now listen to this. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me with Hesop, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Aren't those beautiful words? David cries out to God for forgiveness. Because who else can you cry out to And have the assurance that you'll be forgiven. You see. That's the truth of the matter. When we sin. No matter who we sin against. The universal victim is always God. Because the God that we worship. Is a good God. He is a God who is sinless. He's the only person that can really be offended by our sins because our sins are so offensive to him. It's not who he created us to be. David knows that. David knows that before he should even repent and apologize and seek forgiveness from Bathsheba for his part, Before he goes to anyone, he first has to go to God because he realizes that is the person, that is the one who is truly offended by our sins. And he's the only one who can forgive our sins because only a sinless person, only a person who is pure can grant forgiveness. The interesting thing is it's through that forgiveness that we're able to forgive others. It begins with him, but it doesn't end with him as he gives it to us. We can give it to others who come to us. Forgiveness has to start with him. When we receive it, we become free to truly give it, to understand its real power. And even when it's not given by others, one of the wonderful things about God's forgiveness is that when we're forgiven by him, we don't have to walk around feeling like fugitives in our own head, even if others will not forgive us. In fact, the scripture makes it clear at that point, they're the one who's sinning. We don't have to carry that burden if we know that we've been broken before God. Forgiveness sets us free and turns us around not to be anchored down ever again. You see, it's okay to be a mess. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to mess things up because that's what we do. We're human. We're human, we're broken, we're frail, we're feeble. We're fallen people. But the good news is we're forgiven. And the wonderful thing about forgiveness is once we turn away from that sin, once we seek forgiveness before God, he sets us on the right path. You see, when we don't seek forgiveness Things just go from bad to worse. The mess we make and the mess we are just becomes worse over time. We see it in David's life. A guy who decides, I, I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm just going to take a holiday. I'm just going to let others take care of my responsibilities. And the next thing you know, he's engaged in adultery. And then after his adultery, he's engaged in murder. And then after the murder, he's engaged and a cover-up that costs the life of his child. Things just go from bad to worse. Forgiveness is that place to start to clean up our mess. Forgiveness is that place where we can go to God in repentance and have our lives put back on course. So let me just leave you with a couple of things uh, this week. The next time you mess up, which probably won't be long, don't think you're alone. You're not. For all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Don't be afraid to admit that you're a mess, that you mess up. Don't think that you're less than everyone else, that you've just dropped from the A list. There is no A-list. Before God, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of the Lord. I was in the Home Depot uh, this week. And um, when I went in there, now please don't send me any letters. But when I went in there, I think I was the only one with not wearing a mask. And uh, I saw people with their masks and some people with these really exotic and colorful masks and everything else. And for a moment, I looked around and I thought, it looks like a bank robber's convention. Uh, But that's what we look like before God. God understands we're broken people, but he loves us. Loves us so much, he sent his son to die for us, to wash away our sins. To wash away not only the sins we committed in the past, but the ones we've committed now and the ones we'll commit in the future. When we seek forgiveness, God does something powerful. So don't ever think that you have something to be ashamed of by admitting you're wrong and seeking forgiveness from God and from others because you're not alone. And number two, don't make excuses. The minute you make excuses, you still remain outside of reality. Don't minimize, don't try to justify, but be real. Number three, don't minimize your apologies. How do you not do that? Number one, be truthful. Take time to step back and to look for the truth. To look at what you did and the impact of it to others. And then try to empathize with how it must have felt for them to encounter your sin. Be truthful. Secondly, be thoughtful. When you go to apologize to someone, when you go to seek their forgiveness, after you've asked the question, what must it have felt like to be them? That will help you in a thoughtful way to go to them and say, I know what I did was wrong and you didn't deserve that. And I was being selfish or I was being mean or I was being corrupt. And that's not who I want to be and you don't deserve that. And I sinned against you and I sinned against God. And I'd like your forgiveness because this isn't who I want to be. And this isn't what you deserve from me. Be truthful, be thoughtful, and be thankful. Be thankful that you have a God who forgives, a God who turns your hearts and minds around, who gives you the courage and the strength through his spirit within you to want to seek to do what is right and what is true and what is just. And be thankful. Knowing that as John says in 1st John. That if we confess our sins. That our God is faithful. And he is just. And he will cleanse us of our sins. And all of our unrighteousness. And we can walk with a lighter burden. And know it's it's okay to be a mess. And even when we make a mess. Forgiveness is the place that we start to clean it up. Look, y'all have a good week this week. Um, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but it looks like there's a plan to, that's beginning to unfold where we can be back together again. And I have to tell you, I look forward to it. I miss your faces. I miss your smiles. I miss hearing about your lives. And I miss being one in a more intimate way to worship God together. And so as you go forth this week, may God bless you and keep you. May God allow, allow his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance and give you his peace. And may you continue to grow in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and walk in his ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.